This is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Thursday, February 9th of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, we get a follow-up on the aftermath of a recent ProPublica investigation into Colorado's family court system. And Radio Nibbles host John Lindorf will be in the studio to catch us up on local food news. A BBC News update is at the bottom of the hour. After that, Black Talk host Michelle Simpson will sit down with members of the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony. Then at 9.30, Ginger Perry will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. All that's still ahead this morning, but first a look at the headlines with KGNU's Alyssa Palazzo. The Boulder Police Oversight Panel had its first meeting last night since the Boulder City Council appointed highly contested new members to the panel last month. Boulder residents have filed seven complaints over a perceived mishandling of the City Council's Police Oversight Panel appointment process. Among the complaints, Boulder residents alleged that Boulder Police intimidated people into not approving or forcing the resignation of two of the panel's original appointees. The officers arrived off-duty but in uniform for a city council meeting, which a complainant called, quote, an inappropriate show of force. Two other complaints alleged city council members voted for panelists based on, quote, real or perceived bias, prejudice, or conflict of interest. Council members allegedly have direct relationships with people who serve on the selection committee. Denver police are investigating the shooting death Sunday of 12-year-old Elias Armstrong. KGN News' Benita Lee has more. 12-year-old Elias Armstrong was allegedly at the wheel of a stolen vehicle when the car's owner found it parked in the area of a Denver neighborhood. The owner had reported the theft earlier that day to police, telling them he was tracking the vehicle with an app from its original location. The man told police that when he approached his stolen vehicle, he exchanged gunfire with its occupants. Police took Armstrong to the hospital where he was pronounced dead from gunshot wounds. Police believe the vehicle's other occupants likely fled on foot sometime before officers arrived. The vehicle's owner was contacted at the scene and has not been arrested at this time while officials investigate what led to the gunfire exchange. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee. The Boulder County District Attorney's Office filed a motion on February 2nd for the accused King Super Shooter to undergo a forensic neuropsychological exam. The exam would determine if the shooter's lack of participation in court-ordered treatment indicates a mental health disorder or a choice to remain non-compliant. Ahmad al-Aliwi Alisa was declared incompetent to stand trial last May and again last month. At the Colorado Mental Hospital in Pueblo, the accused shooter declined individual and group therapy sessions and refused to discuss his accused crimes. A group of Boulder parents and residents are calling for the removal of encampments near schools. KGNU's Jake Crowley has more. The group known as the Safe Zone for Schools Initiative is petitioning Boulder's elected officials and city leadership to establish an encampment-free zone within a 500-foot radius around schools. According to Boulder Beat News, the city's current policy is to provide unhoused people with at least 72 hours notice before having to vacate their encampment area. The Safe Zone for Schools Initiative is asking the city council for an exemption on that 72-hour notice if the encampment is within 500 feet of a school. The Safe Zone for Schools Initiative argues the encampment-free zone would protect 
protect young students from witnessing drug use, crime, and harassment. A city spokesman told Boulder Beat News prior court rulings established the need for a notice period prior to removing an encampment. For KGNU, I'm Jay Crowley. The Colorado Civil Rights Division has determined that the High Plains Library District, based in Weld County, has violated state anti-discrimination laws when library officials filed an Erie librarian. Shortly before her termination in 2021, librarian Brookie Parks resisted the library's cancellation of programs she had planned for LGBTQ teens and youth of color. The Denver Post reports that the division issued determination letters to the library district Wednesday along with findings that three employees also assisted with the discriminatory firing and retaliation. The library district did did not respond to a request for comment by the Denver Post as of Wednesday evening. Park's attorney told the Denver Post the division's finding is significant as it is among the first in the nation for a state government to conclude censorship targeted at LGBTQ youth or youth of color violates anti-discrimination laws. As many as 325,000 Coloradans could lose Medicaid coverage soon, with the end of the federal government's COVID-19 public health emergency in May. Colorado Politics reports that most will lose eligibility because their income is more than the Medicaid limit. Nationwide, millions of people were able to keep their coverage temporarily after losing their jobs when businesses were forced to shut down due to the pandemic. Employers are the primary source of insurance for most people. Colorado has since recovered from jobs lost because of the pandemic. People being removed from Medicaid would happen over a period of months and is not expected. A bipartisan group of state lawmakers are fast-tracking legislation aiming to provide $5 million to Denver Health in order to bolster the hospital from falling revenues and increased expenses since the pandemic. Donna Lynn, CEO of Denver Health, told the Denver Post the amount of uncompensated or uninsured care by the hospital has roughly doubled since 2020, and about one-third of the hospital's patients comes from outside of Denver, necessitating financial support from the state. Joint Budget Committee Chair Senator Rachel Zenzinger, an Arvada Democrat, said the hospital had roughly 80 days of cash on hand as of early February. For today's weather, we're looking at partly sunny skies throughout the region, with a high temperature of 33 degrees in Boulder, 34 in Fort Collins, 35 in Denver, and in Netherlands, it should reach 18 degrees. Mostly clear tonight, with an overnight low of 15 degrees down in the flatlands. For KGNU, I'm Alyssa Palazzo. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Shannon Young. A ProPublica investigation into Colorado's family court system last year revealed an alarming lack of oversight, particularly with regards to contractors known as Parental Responsibility Investigators, or PREs. Since then, the Colorado Court Administrator's Office has undertaken a formal review and opened a 30-day public comment period for proposed changes. KGNU's Alexis Kenyon spoke with Hannah Dreyfus, the ProPublica reporter behind last year's investigation, to get an update on what's happened since. So to start, for listeners who missed our last interview or your coverage, you have been investigating Colorado's family court system, and specifically you looked into what Colorado calls PREs, so 
PREs are parental responsibility evaluators. Colorado family courts use PREs in high-conflict child custody disputes. So these high-conflict custody disputes often involve allegations of domestic violence or child abuse or sexual abuse. And these PREs charge anywhere from between thirty dollars and $50,000 and can be chosen by just one of the parties who is involved in the high-custody dispute, even if the other party doesn't approve of the PRE. And so you started hearing a lot of complaints about these PREs. And when you looked into it, you found that not only was there almost no oversight of who could become a PRE, the courts were blindly following these recommendations from the PREs. And maybe you should take it from there. Absolutely. So what I looked into was cases of people who were on this list of state regulated PREs, parental responsibility evaluators. And I did a thorough background check on those on the list and some unusual things came up. One of the most unusual things was that one of the parental evaluators who was on the list, Mark Kilmer, had pled guilty to charges of domestic violence in his own history. And yet, despite this, he was continuing to advise the court on cases that involved claims of domestic violence and child abuse. And what I was hearing from parents was that Mark Kilmer was not believing victims of domestic violence and child abuse. And in, in one specific case that I covered in a lengthy story last September, the father was actually arrested and charged with strangling his then 13-year-old daughter. She came into school with injuries reported to the school psychologist and was immediately brought to the ER. And despite this, Kilmer recommended that, that the court give this father custody and continued authority over his daughter. And so cases like this made me start to look at who exactly was on this list of supposedly highly qualified psychological evaluators and what was at stake was possibly assigning children back into the direct custody and or under the authority of somebody who had abused them, and even somebody who had pled guilty in a criminal setting to that abuse. Right. So your article came out in September. What's happened since then? Well, we have seen a lot of movement. Something that was really unique is the immediate impact from the reporting that I did on the people who were included on the state roster, what we saw is that not only after my investigation was Mark Kilmer almost immediately suspended from the roster where he had been, I mean, he had been operating as a court psychological expert for decades. Um, so not only was he uh, almost immediately suspended, but according to my correspondence with the state court administrator's office, they were launching a more thorough investigation into who was on the state roster and making sure that all of their credentials were in, in order and that there weren't any um, criminal charges or other charges on their background checks that could call their expertise into question or pose a significant issue of bias when they waited on cases. So... There has been some, a lot of movement on the ground in Colorado 
to make sure that those who are serving in these court-appointed, extremely influential roles of custody evaluators are qualified and can present in a relatively unbiased fashion their recommendations to the court. That said, we're seeing continued movement, which sort of brings us up to date, to the recent announcement from the state court administrator's office, which was this past Friday, which they are working to update the chief justice directive that governs CFIs, which was last reviewed in 2012. But they're reaching out to the public for comments and feedback and suggestions because what they're seeing is that those who are involved in this family court system, they're the ones affected by it. They're the ones who are relying on these court-appointed professionals to determine extremely intimate decisions in their lives, like the custody of their children. And so who and how these officials get appointed is of interest to the Colorado public. So how are CFIs I mean, and, and PREs appointed? Do they pass? Do they have to pass background checks? And what else is part of that process? Yeah, actually, there the background checks by the court into PREs only began in January of 2022. Before that point, somebody could be appointed as a PRE without a background check if the judge agreed to appoint that person. Okay. So it was a bit more of the Wild West before 2022. And even when you had those protections in place, which started in 2022, you were still seeing folks like Kilmer, who had a criminal history of domestic violence, being court-appointed into roles where they were dealing with cases of domestic violence. I think right now what Colorado is trying to do is really make sure that they up their training game and their vetting game when it comes to appointing these professionals. And I think that the awareness generated not just by my coverage, but by local media coverage onto who are these people who are being appointed to these really critical and influential positions, that is only raising awareness and forcing um, Colorado courts to make sure that they check and double check the statutes that are supposed to govern these court-appointed individuals. Hannah Dreyfus is a reporter for ProPublica. Her recent investigation looks into Colorado's family court system. Hannah, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks. Of course. You can find links to Hannah's reporting and her Twitter feed where she has updates on her continued reporting into Colorado's family court system at news.kgnu.org. Oh, do we have a Radio Nibbles for you. John Lindorf's car died on the way to the studio, but I have him on the phone. Good morning, John. Hi. Hey, and the phones work. Hooray. Everything's working out for us today. So, John... As you sit by the side of the road, we'll come get you in a second. Um, but uh, <laughs> tell us, what's the latest in local food news? If anybody has an extra car they want to sell me, uh, let me know. <laughs> well, 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 we'll come get you. Like We'll get those details afterwards. <laughs> but first... Not, other than that, it's a, it's a beautiful morning here in the Valley. And uh, got a bunch of uh, local food news I wanted to pass along this morning. Uh, one of them is, uh, I know it's still really cold out, but unless you 
uh, sign up for a CSA right now, you probably aren't going to get in one. There's, there's actually not that uh, many uh, spots left. Like Growing Gardens in Boulder only has 11 spots left in its 2023 20, CSA. So uh, try to, uh, if you're going to do that, but this is the time. Um, the big news, though, is that uh, New Mexico is trying to become the first state in the nation to have an official state aroma, which they're claiming as uh, roasted uh, green chili. And the thought occurred to me what, what Colorado's official state aroma should be. Greeley before a snowstorm? Uh, <laughs> not Yeah, and that's usually what people say, but I was hoping for something more food-oriented. Uh, it could be the smell when they're making uh, red zinger outside of the celestial or uh, the uh, cinnamon raisin bread at Rudy's. Or uh, anyway, if you have any ideas, let me know at uh, nibbles at boulderweekly.com. Uh, I also wanted to let you know. You know, I love bakeries. There's a new one in Longmont, a home bakery called Oven Spring, and uh, they've got a Mexican hot chocolate stout bread with marshmallow that sounds awfully good right now. Um, there's a new tea shop in uh, downtown Boulder. The, the Old Barrel Tea Company has opened at 1647 Pearl. Um, so there's a, there's, a, there's a lot going on. I also wanted to mention tomorrow is Bike to Work Day. So uh, please stop by KGNU and get breakfast from 7 to 9 a.m. at uh, 4700 uh, Walnut Street. What's on the menu? Oh, uh, you know, I, I'm not in that department, so uh, <laughs> I'm not in that department. But you know what? Usually we have some fruit. We have some, of course, we have coffee. Um, we have Ozo coffee every morning here, actually, at the station. Uh, we have juice, generally like some granola bars and and that kind of stuff. You know, I it, it's one of those things like bike to, bike to work day. We have the breakfast table set up and then I'll get on deadline and then I'll I'll be off of deadline and it's gone. So I think the prime time listeners, if you're biking to work tomorrow in the morning for winter bike to work day is to get here to the station sometime between 7 a.m. and 830 because that really seems to be the time where, you know, either grab it on deadline or don't. Um, and, you know, John, I want to add something about a restaurant that's that's new. You're talking about the the local food news. I went to a place. It's and, you know, if you were to ask me the best thing that, that I've had to eat lately, it was Pupusa Lovers 2. Uh, it's a Salvadoran restaurant that just opened at 2525 Arapaho and uh, what the former site of yellow belly chicken. But if you were to ask me what's the best thing I've had to eat lately, I had a pupusa there that was uh, bean cheese and the, I should have looked this up before opening my mouth on the radio, but it's it's a flower. It's an edible flower from El Salvador. It was delicious. It, it begins with an L, the flower. But uh, uh, it's uh, Larocco. Absolutely. There you go, John. See, that's why you're the food expert. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, lots of excitement on the uh, food end. And uh, um, well, go ahead and ask me a question. Okay. Well, uh, you know, it's Thursday. So what's in your nibbles column? Uh, and this sort of relates to the best thing that I ate. Uh, my column today is, uh, you know, uh, for years I've talked about older, you know, should really have a winter farmer's food market somewhere. And um, that didn't, that, that just hasn't happened yet. Uh, but in reality, it, it actually uh, is is there. And it's the uh, Boulder County Farmer's Market online farmer's market. And uh, last week, I went ahead and uh, ordered some uh, food from them. And if you go on the site, it's amazing. The uh, 
the food that is there even in the middle of the winter. Um, a lot of, uh, obviously, you know, it's not the same kind of produce you're going to get in the middle of the summer, but the wonderful uh, carrots and potatoes and daikon radish, greens and mushrooms. Um, they also have uh, prepared foods. Uh, I got some pasta ficchio uh, pasta and uh, made a great uh, one-pot dish. And uh, they have uh, fruit from the Western Slope. And uh, I just really enjoyed uh, looking through it. They have uh, meat from uh, places like Sky Pilot and Buckner Ranch. And uh, they also have eggs, really, really good eggs. You know, everyone's talking about the shortage. So it's, um, it, it, it really is a great uh, uh, resource. And the, the reason that you want to buy there besides the tasty food is that it's a lifeline to local farmers and food producers. It helps keep them going in the winter. And it's very easy. You order online, you go to one of the four drop-off spots, and they put the box in your car. It's a lovely thing. And uh, for those of you who are sitting and waiting, the market's open on April 1st. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I've told you what the best thing I ate lately was, but what about you, John? What's the best thing you've tasted? So I ordered uh, a bunch of uh, purple carrots from Hoffman Farms, and uh, these things were so dark, they were almost black, which means, of course, that they're incredibly rich in uh, beta carotene. I peeled them, I I, I sliced them, and I added some... uh, organic uh, baby potatoes, and all I did, I sprayed them with avocado oil and a little bit of smoked salt. I threw them in the air fryer, and I swear those carrots came out like uh, sweet carrot jerky. They were just absolutely delicious, and these little potatoes were just like a mouthful of perfection. It was wonderful. All right. Well, uh, you can listen to podcasts of this show or Kitchen Table Talk at KGNU.org. And, you know, John, so we have Kitchen Table Talk. That's the first Thursday of the month. But for this next month, which is March, it's going to be fun drive month. So you have something else planned as well. So tell me what's coming up in the next Kitchen Table Talk and with the special program during KGNU's Fun Drive. Uh, We'll have uh, chefs and farmers on on the first uh, Thursday of uh, March. And then um, March uh, 11th and 19th is KGNU's Spring Membership Drive. Uh, I believe we are on, well, you'll have to tell me the date, the Thursday date that we actually are on. But I wanted to uh, remind food businesses who, you know, in Boulder County, if you'd like to contribute gift cards that we can pass on to new members as a thank you, uh, please contact Verity at the station. Yeah, we're we're all part of a, a literal ecosystem of farming and sustainable agriculture and, and eating local and local news and information. So if you would like to support your community radio station, of course, you can do that as a listener member. But also if you're a food business, keep us in mind. We accept gift cards, uh, gift certificates, and what what have you. So uh, let's all kind of band together with, with our fun driving. So, John, thank you so much. Uh, you know, I have somebody here who's ready to come get you who has AAA. <laughs> so we'll talk offline about that. But thank you for your roadside farm stand. <laughs> 
uh, car problem edition of Radio Nibbles. Life, life is uh, always interesting. Thanks a lot, folks. See you next week. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's all the time we have for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Shannon Young. Special thanks to Stacey Johnson, Jack, Jake Crowley, Alyssa Palazzo, Benita Lee, Alyssa Kenyon. I've also got uh, Rachel Litterman and John Kellen here in the studio uh, learning how to operate the board. So it's been a training session today, too, with, uh, you know, what worst case scenarios of people getting with their car breaking down on the side of the road. So we're coming for you, John. We're coming for you. Uh, also, I'd like to thank Alexis Kenyon and John Lindorf from calling it in from the side of the road and for contributing to today's program. Stay tuned for Black Talk with Michelle Simpson. That's going to be coming up on the other side of the BBC News headlines. But first, how about a few uh, underwriting announcements? 